Hi, my name is Paul Caroli, and I host a podcast called Changing Denver. It's a monthly show about our city's physical spaces, how we make them, and how they make us. But it's so much more than that. It's the conversations, ideas, and stories that define Denver's perpetual state of flux. Find more from our team at changingdenver.com and join the conversation on Twitter at Changing Denver. Denver's changing. We can help. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we, we speak. speak. You have all made it to the dance. You have all made it, made it, to you from the X-Access, it's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 168. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And man, what a great show I've got for you this week. I talked to Captain Greg Pixley from Denver Fire. And Greg is not someone that I knew. Uh, I just went on Denver Fire's website, found the contact info for the public information officer, and just straight up cold called him. This was about two weeks ago. And he said to me, he's like, yeah, that sounds good. After I explained to him the show, uh, let's, let's meet. How's next Wednesday looking for you? And I go, great. So talk to him a week ago and here we are a week later. So I tell that story because I think it's indicative of the overall philosophy of the Denver fire department. Now, I don't know the Denver fire department intimately, but after talking with Greg, I feel like I do and I am So happy that these folks are protecting and serving the community. When you listen to this episode, what comes across most strongly from Greg is the sense that Denver Fire cares and there's a warmth about it. And there's uh, a level of conscientiousness that I suppose should have been obvious given that these folks are dedicated to ensuring the health, safety and well-being of all of us, but that was very disarming in talking to Greg, talking about their policies of inclusion and of mental health for people who have experienced trauma, both in terms of their own firefighters and levels of the community. So there's a sensitivity there that I think I may have taken for granted before talking with Greg. This episode is just an affirmation of what I want this show to be. So I'm proud to bring this one to you. I'm proud of the work that Greg is doing, and I am intensely grateful for the work that Denver Fire does. Uh, From the bottom of my heart, thank you for what you do. Now, a note that's funny. We recorded this episode in Station 10, which is at Martin Luther King and Steele. And the whole time we were recording, we were just like in the main sort of common area. It's like 9 o'clock in the morning when we start recording, and nothing happens. It's very quiet. It's very, like... There's no activity. It's sort of at a standstill. As soon as we were done, and I was both grateful for this and sort of disappointed, like five minutes after we wrapped up, call comes over the intercom. There's some downed power lines on like York Street. Please investigate Station 10. And watching everyone move with purpose right out to the rig was amazing. And within just, I don't know, a few seconds, they were mounted up and they were off dealing with a call. Turned out to be not much, so they were right back. So I got a photo of everyone. You'll find that on the companion blog piece on johnofalltrades.us. That's J-O-N of alltrades.us, along with the links to Denver Fire and, uh, you know, where to get in touch with Greg and so on and so forth. And then I was just standing outside 
They got another call right then. They mounted back up, headed right out. And so it spoke to the unpredictability of the work. Greg said they average maybe 20 calls a day. And you never know what those calls are going to be or when they're going to come. An hour could go by where nothing happens. And then just back to back, boom, boom, you've got two right there. So it was a nice little bit of verisimilitude for me as I recorded this episode. And uh, I'm proud to bring this one to you. First, a couple of plugs. If you're not following John of All Trades on social media, please do. Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram are all under the same handle. That's easy for you. J-O-A-T-Pod is the handle. So get on there, share the episode, uh, like it, comment. That helps gain exposure. Facebook's new algorithm is weird. I don't know if you're actually seeing this show on Facebook or not. But uh, anything that you can do to help my visibility, I'm intensely grateful for. And this is an episode I'm particularly proud of. Additionally, iTunes, Stitcher, two great ways to download the John of All Trades podcast onto your listening device. Hit that subscribe button. And then while you're there, just leave us a quick rating. Hopefully it's five stars. If it's not, whatever. And then if you take the time to review, that would be terrific. Now, on with the episode. This is number 168 with Captain Greg Pixley from Denver Fire. He's also their public information officer, and his episode begins right now. But you start as an entry-level firefighter, and you pay your dues by learning how to be the least senior person on the department. Right. And then with that, you start to earn respect for the other roles that come through as you make your way up in the ranks. Okay. And our structure is uh, based in almost every civil service type of role is based around seniority. It okay. was the same way when I was in the military, and it's been the same way here. The longer you have on the job, the longer you have worked for the organization, the more perks come with that, and the, uh, but also the more responsibility comes sure. with it as well so first of all before we go any further thank you for your service uh very much appreciated not not everyone does that but you're providing a service for us and i thank you very much for that well and it's interesting because if you tell a lot of firefighters that they'll say it's really not that big a deal (laughs) because in interest someone like me it is though yeah right but for firefighters generally there are some people that don't have the same perspective but we're pretty humble people and when when people start throwing accolades at us you get that (laughs) oh gosh oh gee whiz i'm you know it's really not that big a deal well and as americans we're taught to be very humble too i mean you know america is 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 a place where you can celebrate your accomplishments but as soon as someone wants to put the spotlight on you we tend to go ah eh, no you know i'm just doing my work I'm, I'm putting my head down and i want to do good work yeah generally speaking i think that holds true we do have some people just like uh, we have in in life that we see might want to hold things a little bit too close but <laughs> right um I appreciate you saying that. And I think what we'll find um, as you meet more firefighters from this point forward is firefighters don't see it as work. They see it as mm. really like a calling. It's not like a job where you wake up every morning and you're hating to go to work. Right. Um, even in my world right now, I haven't been in the firehouse in about four years, four and a half years. Okay. But every day I'm excited to get up and go to work. And the same thing applies for the firefighters that are working here at Station 10. They're excited to come to work. It's not I have to go to work. Mm-hmm. It's I get to go to work. And they really cherish the opportunities that they they have in, in communicating with the public, being able to provide service to those that are in need, being able to um, accomplish the 
the things that they've set forth, like a, a goal. A goal would be, oh, that house is on fire. How are we going to put it out? Right. It's yeah. kind of like uh, it, it's a it's, very immediate goal. Right. It, well, an immediate goal. But there's a sense of accomplishment in the things that we do. And we find that. And I believe that um, the characteristics of firefighters generally have that type of um, type A goal-oriented uh, personalities that allow for them to have satisfaction in some of the little things. There's days that you'll go and you don't experience anything. There's days that you have a lot of mundane type of calls. and okay. um, But then there's that one call where you've affected somebody positively or you've affected an outcome of an emergency in a way that uh, would not have been as positive had you not responded. So right. that's where we get a lot of our satisfaction is in the general things we do. And then uh, a couple of things, side notes for your listeners is the best cooks I've ever met are <laughs> firefighters. And uh, we have some good chefs out there and yeah. some of the, the local restaurants, but the food that you get in the firehouse and uh, being able to break bread with your sister and brother firefighters, yeah. that's really where uh, a lot of people look forward to. And mm-hmm. when they leave this job after 25, 30 years, they're like, hey, you know, I, I enjoyed my career, but I really miss my sisters and brothers. Yeah. You hear that by and large from almost everybody. I really miss the guys. Well, sure. I mean, as th- that's true of almost everyone I've talked to, it, it doesn't. I mean, it matters to an extent what you do and where you do it. But if you get along with the people that you work with, you're going to be extremely happy. So before we go any further, this is Greg Pixley. And Greg, your official title is? I'm a captain. Okay, you are a captain. Um, Also, the public information officer? Yes, I do the spokesperson roles, the PIO. And uh, I, I have some political responsibilities, and I also have some recruiting responsibilities. Wow. Uh, what, what goes into those recruiting responsibilities? It's basically um, trying to market what the Denver Fire Department has to offer. And it, people might say, well, you have to do that. Right. But essentially we do because oftentimes there's people that want to be firefighters that don't have the capabilities either um, through right. their uh, through their physical prowess or through their their capabilities that they might have intellectually. There, there are people that just don't have what we need. An introvert is not going to oftentimes going to be a great firefighter. Mm. A firefighter needs to be somebody that's very extroverted, very goal-oriented, has the um, not only the compassion but also the capability to provide somebody and to step away from their emergency while they're helping them so that they can function and have mm-hmm. the ultimate goal of providing whatever service might be needed. But for me, I love talking about this job. I started as a firefighter in 1985. Wow. So right. I've got over 30 years of experience. And um, through the opportunities I've had since I was hired in Denver in 1992, I've been able to take all of that information that I've gathered and all those experiences that I've had and then help young people have an understanding of what this job is, what it, what it's capable of providing them, sure. um, what some of the struggles might be, yeah. some of those type of things. So, And I want to get into that too. Yeah, sure. Um, and I, we could talk a long time about the struggles <laughs> that firefighters face. Certainly. But generally speaking, the things that we do are uh, very satisfying and people usually go home physically tired, but also 
having that uh, understanding that they've been able to do something. And a lot of people don't have that, which is an unfortunate reality. If uh, In a blue-collar world, I was talking to my daughter's um, boyfriend last night, and he says, I just sit there in front of a computer, right. and it's like the same thing over and over and over. And I said, well, you know, there there are redundancies in just about every career, but I was talking to him about how if he chose to become a firefighter or test for the fire department, how that would be similar but different, and he would be able to use some of the things that he likes to do. Yeah, what you're describing is at the end of a day, being a firefighter, you have a sense of fulfillment. And that a lot of people struggle to find that in their career, but that sounds like not so much of an existential challenge for a firefighter. Man, we lose very few people that come into right. our world that realize this is not for them. And then we have people that maybe move sure. on. I we I know a couple people that have gone on. Um, one went to pursue his medical doctorate so he can wow. become a practitioner. And then um, I've heard of a, a couple others that uh, had higher callings, like the doctor. The, of A few friends of mine became pastors, and uh, wow. they, they took on the responsibilities of a church and a congregation. So they, they had a higher calling. And it's not that they didn't enjoy it. It's just that they felt that they sure. had the capability to do something else. But we don't lose people often that say, you know, this isn't for me. Occasionally it might happen, but right. um, not generally. Well, you described a calling, and so I was I was struck by that because I've spoken to a Methodist minister, mm-hmm. uh, I've spoken to a Jewish rabbi, and I've spoken to a Muslim imam, and they all talk about a calling. And so when you describe the calling to be a firefighter, what does that look like? How does it manifest for you? Well, I try to articulate what happened to me as I was growing up, but I was one of those people that had tremendous fulfillment when I helped others. Mm-hmm. I, it just gave me a positive feeling. It's just things that um, uh, maybe other people might not be willing to embrace if there were struggles other people had. I remember one time I came across an auto accident when I was probably 16. It was a pretty pretty good auto accident on Wadsworth and Bowles, I think it was, and a car was on its side. Did you grow up here? Uh, yeah, so I'm a Columbine grad, 1984. No kidding. I'm yeah. Golden High School graduate, oh, 2000. Yeah. Oh, so very cool. we're both uh, Jeffco kids. Yeah, yeah. That's and, fantastic. Uh, and I'm, I'm very proud of that. Yeah. Um, I spent a lot of time in Denver. We we found it fascinating to come down to um, the, the, the city when we were growing up on the outer suburbs. So much different fun. city back then, too. Yeah, it was a much different, but, uh, but there's some similarities to it in oh, the same respect. Oh, uh, of but um, back to my story is uh, I remember having just a little bit of knowledge is what was best to provide service for this individual. I don't know. I think maybe Boy Scouts or maybe just a first aid class. I don't remember what it was. But people were doing things and and somehow there was this inherent need for me to tell people, don't do that. You could possibly hurt them. Let's do this. And, right. and when the fire department came, um, you know, of course, they handled it. And then I moved on. But uh, I remember how how happy I felt how again fulfilling Mm -hmm. it was to have the ability to provide something to somebody that was in need and then of course there's always um what's that old adage the uh to walk an old lady across the street (laughs) well you know the chivalry is not a a terrible thing and in terms not just for helping um older women or older men but even younger kids because when people are struggling the fire 
service, an emergency service world, is to try to find the best thing that you can address to reduce the danger, the the um, the trauma, the uh, the negative things that are affecting that individual at that time. And that's one. That's another thing about the fire service I really love is not only is there very little mundane or redundant type of things, but you get to use your mind and you get to mm. take those experiences from your being 16 years old right. to 26 to 36. You get to take that scope of your life and the experience that you have and it builds so that you have a greater knowledge and uh, more p- possibilities to help somebody. And that's that's really kind of the neat thing, which is one of the reasons why seniority is so vitally important in our world, oh, because certainly. you have to live vicariously through the older firefighters. You need to sit and listen and to understand and um, be a sponge, right? You really have to be. If you want to be successful and if you want to increase your own safety level and the efficiency of what you do on the job, you really need to listen to what other people have done. Now, um, I'm 50, almost 52 here in just a little bit. And when I, uh, through my life, I've taught at the community college level. I've coached kids. I've had an awareness of what other people did that were older than me mm-hmm. that I didn't embrace. And I've really tried to learn from mm-hmm. that and uh, turn it around so that I could provide information to people. So and my, my famous statement when I was teaching school and when I would work with a junior firefighter is learn through my mistakes so you don't have to relive them. And that's yeah. a lot of the things that we do because those mistakes, they could be milliseconds from a very catastrophic event. And so if you can learn from somebody so you don't have to put yourself in a position that could create some liability for you in terms of um, your safety or other people's safety or make things more efficient so you can get to somebody that much sooner, then that is a benefit for you. And you have lived somebody's 30-year career in in a 30-minute conversation. (laughs) Wow. That's a a very powerful thing. And I was struck by something you said, limiting liability for yourself, given that our society seems to be moving to a much more litigious type culture. Is that something that firefighters deal with? Is that something that's in your head? Are there people who take action against the fire department? Yeah, there are. And I can't say that every firefighter is a righteous person. I'm I'm sure that there are some people out there that have might have uh, malicious intent. Certainly. Uh, but But, uh, you know, I think that if we look Overall, at the Denver Fire Department, you're going to find people that are very passionate about the things they do and want to do them the right way. Mm-hmm. But there are also mistakes that are made, and even if they're not malicious. So right. there is a degree of responsibility that a firefighter must face, not only internally within the organization, but through um, – the the city itself and then if there's laws or anything that might have been violated certainly but we we need to treat people respectfully and that's one of the mantras we have in Colorado I think that is different from other parts of the United States so mm-hmm. the things that you and I grew up with in Jeffco and the things that the um the young individuals grow up here in the Denver public school system are different than they might be in other parts of the country Perhaps, so yeah. I, yeah and I, I um and I see that I I see we see that in the news we see some of those characteristics that are not Colorado-esque not right. Denver metro-esque they um I think we have a more embracing type of culture here in Colorado. And um, I think that our firefighters do have that mentality when they're trying to they help reflect other that. people. They do reflect that. But that doesn't mean that they might do something wrong and they could be held 
liable. They could be held civilly liable or criminally liable. But we train our firefighters to address those issues and to look out. But um, we're lucky because uh, the initial intent that most firefighters have is to provide a uh, service. And that intent of trying to do good reduces a lot of the liabilities that we face. However, I will say that some of the best fights I've ever had were not in high school, hmm. but were as a firefighter. And literally people... Really? <laughs> and you, you, you... It's difficult to translate, but when people are not of themselves, when they're using drugs or they are substance abuse, they are not willing to... <laughs> allow a firefighter to embrace them to provide the best service of care. They have different, <laughs> they, they are focused on different things. Sure. And, and trying to make these people as safe as possible. I literally have been in the, uh, fist the cuffs trying to wow. protect myself against somebody that is, uh, that is altered through whatever substance there is. So there's a degree of liability there. And then so, so, so a question about that real quick. How much, uh, because you're dealing with people who might be on substances and because you're, you're providing a service like this, how much like self-defense or like jujitsu or martial arts, like <laughs> how much of that training goes into being a firefighter? We have had um, self-defense classes, but we haven't had them in a long time. We're going through some uh, Krama Graal right now uh, for other issues, okay. um, which could provide that. But we work in teams of four in Denver, and these little small squads uh, right. add greater protection and safety for you in every environment. There's probably not enough. Okay. However, <laughs> we, we are quite cognizant of the fact that uh, firefighters – are put into very dangerous situations. Here in Denver, the firefighters are first on scene of a lot of emergencies. That includes um, assaults and shootings before the police get on scene. Really? So sometimes we have to ensure that the scene is safe before we can go to work. How how does that happen? Like with a shooting, why would would the fire department be there before the police? Well, the... um, it's not as if the police don't want to respond, but right. sometimes that they're overwhelmed with their call volume. There okay. are times where they are, there's a queue of calls and they're trying to get through and Band they try to, issues. Yeah, exactly. So they're looking at the prioritization of those calls to get people there. Now, my brothers and sister, Denver police firefighters, uh, have given me protection through my 26 year career here. And I am so proud of what they do mm-hmm. and the relationship that we in the, as firefighters and uh, Denver police have is better than it's ever been because um, I really truly believe that we respect one another for what their goals are. And they have, uh, again, given me protection because that's what their job is. They have uh, more of a situational situational awareness of uh, how to handle things as we would do fires. But the the things that happen sometimes is the location of a fire crew might be on scene of an emergency before the the right. closest police officer or even the paramedics or whatever the the role might require whatever that right. emergency might require so oftentimes we have gotten there and um well the weapons are still drawn and right. and uh, but it and it's scary and unfortunately we have lost firefighters um in 1993 we lost a fellow firefighter his name is Doug Konechny and he was shot in he was shot and killed on an emergency scene while we were assisting police officers oh my god 
So um, firefighters put themselves in very similar circumstances. There was a firefighter that just was shot in another part of the United States just last week. Mm. Um, we lose firefighters at a, a pretty steady rate, unfortunately. And when you talk about some of the things, some of the traumas that we face, we're also now starting to embrace the fact that our firefighters are suffering from some psychological issues, too, that we're addressing and the PTSD type of things. Well, I can only imagine. I, I mean, what you're talking about, firefighters put themselves in danger and peril uh, regularly. I mean, I... It is would it be fair to say daily? Yes, it would be fair to say daily. Okay. Given that, and I, I spoke to on this show I had a nine one one dispatcher at one point, and she said it's hard not to carry what you hear because every day of your life you are experiencing someone else's worst day of their life. Mm-hmm. And carrying that with you has got to be challenging. It's got to be taxing. And that to me sounds like what you're describing. Well, and I think 911 dispatchers have even more of a disconnect because they can't, they, they very rarely right. have the opportunity to see something through fruition. They take right. the 911 call as soon as, you know, they'll break the line while the emergency service providers are mm-hmm. uh, doing what is necessary on that call. Uh, and I feel for them. And we have under, we do have an understanding of what they what they are affected by and um you know it and it's interesting because we're at a pinnacle now where we are more conscious of um of the effects that this job is having on us in fact now we are starting to lose more firefighters due to their own hands than we are on the fire oh ground. no and um the ptsd issues are are being embraced and uh, addressed by not only this fire department, which has been proactive for a long time, but also on the international, uh, the the local and international scale mm-hmm. of trying to provide the firefighters the best resources possible. So Mental that health they services, can't, exactly. Okay. So we have counseling services uh, we call peer support here on the Denver Fire Department. Has been around for a couple of decades. So we've pushed. Um, the issue long before other fire departments have, and we have multiple layers of counseling services for our firefighters so they they can get help for this um, type of trauma that they experience every yeah. day. But it's not just a trauma. Of course, we're just like the public. We we have people that suffer from uh, substance abuse issues. We have people that go through marital issues. We have sure. uh, and counsel or relationship issues. We have people that are suffering from financial issues. So we're tra- we t- work very hard to reduce those stressors that our firefighters face so that they are healthier when they come to work and they are right. more capable employees. But, so, you know, it is a trend that we're starting to see and address is uh, how right. this is affecting all per, uh, emergency service providers. Yeah, I mean, so what you're describing is stuff that everyone goes through, marital troubles, financial yeah. troubles, whatever they are. And then on top of that, the, you know, dealing with people in trauma and, you know, rescuing people for their lives, mm-hmm. um, dealing with that every day. I, I can't imagine the strain of that. Um, I, it's, it's kind of funny when, and I hope she doesn't mind me telling this story, but uh, when my wife was 25 weeks pregnant with my second daughter, um, she uh, had a bucket handle tear of her meniscus. She couldn't move. And so we were trying to figure out what happened, and they said, just call 911. And paramedics showed up. They ended up having to call the fire department, and I can't remember which station came. But uh, the firefighters came, put my wife on the gurney, carried her out. Mm-hmm. She was terribly embarrassed because mm-hmm. she said, you know, I've never weighed more in my entire life. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, and, you know, she said, I'm not wearing makeup, on and on and on. Um, but 
the the fire department that we had was just absolutely lovely and so service oriented and mm-hmm. took care of her in a way where she felt good about it. Mm-hmm. And then they loaded her into the ambulance uh, and took her. She had to have knee surgery um, at 25 weeks pregnant, which was a real oh, challenge. Yeah, no, I, I get it. And, you know, when you think about it, the it it's very difficult for a firefighter to say you've done wrong. Right. Or that's not the right thing to do because people usually call us when they don't have another option mm. and we understand and respect that. And, um, and we try to give people the respect that is due. And again, uh, I, I think that the, we do a very good job here in Denver. And I think that our leadership through chief Eric Tade and, um, our, uh, other command staff, we'll call them, have given us and empowered us to be able okay. to do what is right. And I appreciate that as well because i am very proud to be a denver firefighter and i'm very proud of this profession across the united states and canada where generally we all do the same thing and um the organizations that provide um that represent us throughout uh, canada and the united states have right. have also too given us some protections that uh, have allowed us to have the opportunity to provide these services and then to your point about um uh seeing these individuals is you you talk about your child some of the traumas that we f- we face when it comes to the psychological and the behavioral health issues so i'll give you an example when i was 25 years old uh, i was married but i didn't have any kids mm-hmm. and when i would provide service to kids i could disconnect from that it wasn't a big deal oh sure yeah but in 1994 when i had my daughter and she was born it became kind of personal to me and it added I think a different it, dimension yeah it really did because you start to see your kids and other kids and you start to um maybe have a greater passion to provide that because you might know kids a little bit better and this is just me it, it might not be uh, across the board but um i think that um over a period of time firefighters start to see things and they 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 start to kind of carry baggage and if you don't have sure. the resources to be able to address those things that you've seen uh the significant traumas and the burns and the shootings and uh, all of that stuff that you see on TV and you just kind of disregard right. when you see it firsthand you do have um you do have the possibility of being affected by that in the long term and what we're doing is we're trying to give firefighters and uh, we work with police officers and our medical uh, colleagues as well we give them the opportunities to help compartmentalize that and put that away so it doesn't become an issue in in the long term right so as we're sitting here in station 10 Mm -hmm. um here in the uh park hill neighborhood park hill i think is east of colorado um, but so I can't remember exactly what neighborhood we're in, uh, Skyland, maybe where, wherever we are, um, we're at 32nd and steel mm-hmm. or MLK and steel. Um, and I mentioned my wife, you know, the fire department showed up to, uh, to take her into the ambulance and, and so that she could get treatment for just tearing her knee. It was a freak thing too. She was sitting on, on the floor, trimming the cat's fingernails, tried to get up, just tore and you never know what can happen. So, uh, that's an example of a type of call where we didn't necessarily expect the fire department to show up. How many calls will, say, Station 10 take in a day, and what are the different types of calls that will happen? 
Well, and we would like to think there's some consistency in the call volume that we have, but every day is a little bit different. Of course. Some days they might run 20 calls, some days they might run two. Wow. But, uh, and it's just dependent upon the needs of the neighborhood. And we have a redundancy coverage, or redundancy of coverage. So if, um, the firehouse in five points mm-hmm. was busy, tasked with an emergency, then here at station 10, they could run down there and provide service. Gotcha. So the, it's not just in this neighborhood or the local neighborhoods. They, we can provide service throughout the city. And all of our firefighters are trained to the same level of proficiency so that they have the ability to interrelate with other um, uh, fire companies on the other part of town with efficiency. So um, every day is a little bit different. I came from Engine 1 down at Spear and West Colfax, and okay. we were doing 6,000 calls a year. So that means we were going, yes. and that's on average about 20 calls a day that we were going out of the uh, firehouse. Good and it, Lord. It, yeah, so it, it uh, and we have a call, we have a uh, Tower 4 right now, uh, by Coors Field, they are doing almost 7,000 calls a year. Jeez. So the, the level of service that we provide throughout the city is sometimes can be overwhelming. And luckily for us is our schedule allows for firefighters to try to get the rest and, um, recuperation that they need on their days off. Okay. We work 48 hour work weeks here and that's a little bit different than some of the uh, smaller departments that work more than us. But, the level of service that we provide here in Denver, we are very proud of and, uh, again, very proud of what the leadership has provided us in terms of our time off so we can get that needed rest and we do have the capability to be efficient once we come back to work. Then, um, but the call volume throughout the den- throughout, so people will ask me, hey, Fridays, is that just the craziest day? <laughs> well, you know, Friday nights can be, especially down in Lodo. Sure. But, uh, you could have, um, you could have a uh, a day that uh, out of nowhere that just you know say April third just with no significance whatsoever that could just overwhelm the department yeah. and in terms of what it, what's going on and it's just dependent upon weather um, um, the day of the week it, it, there's just no consistency is summer worse. Well, it can be. I mean, intuitively, you know, it feels like it would be. You would think. It, it's hot. It's dry. Yeah. Um, you know, you always hear about fire season. And I know um, in terms of, like, uh, firefighters who work in rural areas mm-hmm. and, you know, those who deal with forest fires, that's an entirely different ball of wax. Yes, it is. Um, but in terms of working in an urban area, what are the types of calls that you will get? So of those 20, how many of them will be fires? Um, so I, I think around, if you looked at our call volume, I think around two and a half percent of all of our calls are fires. Really? And they, they can be, they could be car fires, they could be trash fires, they could be building fires, they could okay. be, uh, wildland fires. And we do have some areas here where, um, in the parks and stuff where we could get some wildland fires. You, you mentioned trash fires, so a literal dumpster fire? Uh, I yeah. know that's a colloquialism. No, it's, <laughs> that's, that's what it is. Wow. And you know, if you, if you're not aggressive on a dumpster fire, the, where the dumpster's usually located right next to the building. Well, sure, so, yeah. And then, um, so fire could lap up outside of it into a window or into, uh, uh, the underside of a roof and then mm. travel into the building. So, you know, we address them because they are dangerous. And plus, we don't know what's inside of those dumpsters oh, a lot a of point, times. Yeah. So you could have, you could have something happen that you don't anticipate. And, right. um, so yeah, dumpster fires. <laughs> I've gone on, um, downtown on 16th Street Mall. They had those little planners. You know, oh, where yeah. they come from, and people will put their cigarettes out in that, that, wow. uh, in that little, and something uh, will catch dirt and-, and it will start to fester. And, wow. and, um, so yeah, there, we have, 
uh, what are some of the silliest fires I've been on? The, um, <laughs> But just about anything and everything, because anytime anybody sees fire, fire is a, it can, it, the way that the fire propagates itself, it can double in 30 seconds if it has available fuel and, um, uh, oxygen. So th- there are things, right. we get a fire, people call on a fire to them, it's a big deal. We get there and kind of snicker and we're like, geez, <laughs> you could have just poured some water on that and it would have been fine. You didn't need to call us. But again, that, th- that's their world and that's a world we need yeah. to respect is we need to be hypersensitive to those type of emergencies because you especially in today's day and age you never know what those type of emergencies could actually be so sure being aggressive trying to provide uh the the best service that we can to reduce whatever whatever possible um liability or whatever possible dangers could be faced by those individuals and and a lot of times People will just have a weird feel and they'll call 911 because something's not right about a certain circumstance. And had they not, it could have been something Ah. very significant. So we ask people to, you know, that's what we're paid to do. And again, I talked about that analytical side. We love to try to figure out problems. That's a characteristic that we have is like, what is driving this? What is creating this? What is making this actually do the thing that it's doing? Or how can we stop it from doing the things that we're doing? So we'll work either forward or backward on the problem. it's funny you say that because I work in PR for a living, and that's my day job. And no one ever calls uh, a PR professional or um, a PR agency when the sun is shining. It's always well after the that it's yeah. a problem. Um, a little bit of prevention here. So if someone senses something that's a little bit off, call, right? Exactly. Uh, before it becomes a real problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned about 2.5% of the calls you're on are fire. Um, and then, you know, there was obviously like medical type things that and my the, wife the, deals that's with. That's the largest percentage is okay. the medical. Um, how many to use a 1950s comic strip cliche? Are you getting cats down out of trees? Well, uh, <laughs> this is one of my famous lines is I have literally gotten a cat out of a tree and it wasn't Terrific. far from here. And, um, so, uh, you know, there's a lot of kind of tongue in cheek things that uh, are said, you know, you won't find a cat skeleton in a tree, <laughs> but uh, you know, the, the fact is when somebody, when somebody is in that of a, uh, that much of a situation where they are that concerned about their cat, right? As long as we can do it safely, as long as we can assure that we're not going to put ourselves at risk, we'll probably do it. And And you have the resources, too. And and we have the resources. I mean, assuming like a hierarchy Mm -hmm. of – if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, like, okay, this one is existential. This one may be a little Mm -hmm. bit lower priority. Mm -hmm. We'll do our best to get to it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if we have the capability, if we have the resources, if we're not overwhelmed in our call volume – We'll do it. And normally we'll have that opportunity. And right. I'm going to tell you is that first I was afraid that cat was going to attack me when I climbed <laughs> sure, to the top yeah. of that ladder. I actually kind cats of, are unpredictable. You, you never know. But it was just a little uh, or a big sweetie cat. You know what yeah. I mean? Just one that just loved you. And when I got down from that ladder and I gave it to that woman, I was uh, I felt I felt good. Sure. And she she felt really good because now she didn't have a stress. So we were able to provide her something that, and if you think about it, if, if a next door neighbor or if she had tried to climb this tree, right, we could have had a very significant incident. Then and it's a problem. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, I, uh, you know, I'm proud that as a Denver firefighter, I can literally say I rescued <laughs> a cat out of a tree. Good for you. Uh, and I apologize for such an aggressively cliche question. No, it, and but we do it. We do it. And we're, we're proud to do it. 
Okay. <laughs> That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that early on in this episode you had talked about, there are requirements uh, that you must fulfill to become a firefighter. Can we start with what some of those like? Like, let's say someone's listening to this and they say, "I might be interested in becoming a firefighter." What would they need to do? What are some of the requirements, physical, mental, um, in terms of education? Uh, let's start with the physical. So, well, let's start kind of in the process. Uh, if Actually, you yeah, mind. start however okay, you'd like. So, as a recruiter, um, um, I am constantly looking for. Uh, women and men that are interested in becoming Denver firefighters constantly trying to find that, trying to provoke their interests and keep them um, or help them become aware and, and keep them motivated to go through this process. And it's, it's kind of a lengthy process and, but it's needed to be, and you'll see why uh, here in a second. But the first thing you have to do is you have to take a test and the test is, we call it a written test, but basically it's on a computer. And it sure. gauges your emotional intelligence, your ability to process uh, situations and determine what is the best outcome for that situation. Hmm. So that analytical piece that firefighters are not known for, uh, when I first... Or not recognized not for. Not recognized for. In fact, when I first started as a firefighter, w- was very much... Um, strong like bull, smart like fence type of mentality. <laughs> we didn't have, uh, we weren't looked at the same 30 years ago right. as we are now, where we are far more savvy, far more intellectual, far more aware of uh, sciences and um, public uh, or, or looking out for, uh, you know, just the principles of logic and those type of things. Right. Now, um, so the, the, we test people on their basic math and we test people on their reading and their, their punctuation and their, their emotional intelligence, the okay. situational things. This is Denver. Not all departments do this, but this is a way that we've, uh, or that's our first level of vetting. The people that do the best on that emotional intelligence test are then given the opportunity, if they score high, opportunity to continue on in our testing process. Mm-hmm. And then the second phase. There's it, like a minimum threshold that they is, need and, to exceed. Yeah, I, okay. Exactly. I so once they get, once they, if they score above that threshold, then they will go to the second phase. And the second phase includes uh, a polygraph to ensure truthfulness. It includes a background investigation to ensure wow. there's no skeletons in the closet. Right. Um, it, we work to ensure that they have the psychological capability through a couple of tests, the MMPI-2 and the WPI, which are two okay. psychological batteries they use. And then um, we do, they also then take the polygraph and the psychological tests and then they are evaluated in the presence of a clinical psychologist who helps to make a determination that these people have what it takes. Again, we talked about some of the things that firefighters struggle. So we want to make sure that this person has not only, um, the ability to process and, and analyze and deduce and all of those things that are going to ensure their level of service is going to ex- – we don't want to put somebody in a compromising situation. Right. We don't want – like my, my kids would not be firefighters because they pass out every time they see blood. <laughs> and we want right. to make sure that we've kind of vetted those people out. So you need a certain level of resolve is what you're exactly. describing. Exactly. And okay. you have to have the ability to process the things in a certain fashion. And then finally, we do have a physical test, and that's one of the last things. But we'll lose people through this process sure. along the way. And once they get to the physical test, the physical test they call is a candidate physical ability test, something real simple. But it's a, uh, it's called the CPAP. 
and then uh, once you once the lady and ladies and gentlemen complete that, then we take those that remain and then we put them in front of an oral board. And this oral board mm-hmm. asks some questions, and it's not confrontational. It's not uh, you know poking. What do you you know? The, we, we open it up. Just tell us what you've done. Tell us why you think you'd be a good firefighter. And we just let these people on their own um, on their, their own desire to be able to tell them what they've done. And I'm sure we've all done things that would make us good public servants. But we want to know right. that this person understands what it means to be a Denver firefighter, understands what it means to provide services to others. Um, we want people that have the ability to embrace different cultures, different races, different genders. Mm. We want people who have the understanding that we are an inclusive uh, fire department and yeah. we we don't we look at things a little bit different. Back to what I was talking about, the Colorado mentality, this this philosophy Certainly. that everybody's equal and everybody has the same opportunities. And and then um from that those people will compete against each other and any one of our fire academies, we have about two a year, any one of our academies can have anywhere between eighteen to uh twenty four firefighters and we try to cycle them through. So we'll have two academies this year and two academies next year. And we'll try to bring in, you know, on average around 50 firefighters a year. Mm. Um, so that's the process. And then if somebody was interested, all they would have to do is just look us up online. And we, there's a, a, a get, what is the button called? The drop down button is something like a, a fire recruiting or a right. becoming a Denver firefighter or a fire job or something yeah, like that. Uh, employment opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Like that. And that's on the Denver Fire Department and website. I'll link to that on the companion blog yeah. piece that goes up with this. Perfect. For, for anyone who wants to see it. Would you call it a fairly difficult threshold to to achieve uh it, it you have to be patient okay and uh we get a lot of people that uh want to be firefighters that just don't have what the standards are in terms of what the civil service has created and the mm. civil service commission of denver is the one who does the hiring for us okay so as a recruiter my job is just to get people interested in the test and then they'll go through the vetting process right. through the civil service but um yeah you have to be you have uh, you have to be patient and you have to be uh, disciplined and diligent about getting through the process. And it can take a period of time, but the outcome is worth it. If you can, if you can weather the storm and get through the whole process, the outcome is worth it. And we, we started a pretty good wage. Our firefighters start at $55,000 a year. Wow. And then in four years, they can be making $85,000 a year as a, as a base pay. And we do better than other departments throughout the nation. There are a couple that exceed us, but we are compared to some very prestigious fire departments, uh, San Francisco's and Philadelphia, wow. uh, some of the larger departments. So we are on uh, a level that is equivalent to being a very reputable and uh, very prestigious department as well. That's interesting. Uh, once you become a firefighter, and you said you started as an entry-level firefighter, um, are there like annual tests? Do you like are are there refreshing? You know where it's like you need to take. Uh, you know, let's let's check. Make sure your mental agility is where it is. Uh, are there physical milestones that you need to meet? 
annually or every two years or every six months or whatever? Yeah, we, so we work on a uh, – We're right now we're reevaluating our physical standards and we're calling a performance evaluation, which kind of is a software cell, but it's essentially a physical standard. And so our firefighters are going through that. We're starting to incorporate what is the, uh, the best practice in terms of ensuring that firefighters have the capabilities of um, that, you know, that f- the need physically when they're on the uh, fire ground. And one of the best ways that I can equate it to is the amount of energy that we put out on an emergency scene is far beyond anything a professional athlete will do. Mm. Now, the, now, in terms of maybe cardiovascular output, uh, a hockey player, they do a lot because they're, they're not only skating back and forth, right. but they're also moving, um, the, the hockey stick around trying to get to the puck and they're running a lot into of, each other. Yeah. And, and the checking and stuff. So that was probably the closest soccer players. They have that, that, um, cardiovascular output, mm-hmm. but, um, we work nonstop for, probably 15, 20, 30 minutes, and our heart rate will exceed that of a professional athlete. And we are doing very physical tasks as well. Sure. And if a firefighter doesn't take care of themselves, they could suffer um, a heart attack or some type of other cardiovascular event, a stroke or something along that. We do lose firefighters on that. Sure. So um, by ensuring that we eat healthy, we're, main, we're uh, mandated to work out at least an hour every day that we're on shift, but you'll firefight find firefighters that will try to do more than that and they'll work out on their day off because they want to have the ability to uh, perform when they are called upon. Certainly. So what the Denver Fire Department is doing is ensuring that everybody is meeting those that physical standard and we are uh, implementing what is called the perf- uh, performance evaluation. And, and, and it will help people gauge their level of health and um, hopefully be proactive in addressing any issues that someone might have. Yeah. Because interestingly enough, it's an unfortunate reality, but with the um, uh, petroleum products that we have in our chairs, like you and I are sitting in here right now, and with the synthetics that are incorporated in our furniture and our TVs, those those chemicals are starting to affect firefighters at higher cancer rates than the general oh, public because when we put those fires out, they literally commingle yeah. through our neck into our skin, and we, right. we we suffer some of those things. So now, keeping healthy will help our firefighters live a right. long, healthy life. But also, if we're proactive in this and if we can check our um, – uh, go through the, the annual physical to reduce the chances of those cancers becoming an issue and addressing them in an earlier stage, then we will have the opportunity okay. to to have that long, healthy life. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and, and that's interesting because I can't imagine the level of VOCs that uh, firefighters are breathing in uh, on a daily basis. Mm. Um, in terms of – People listening to this, um, what are some of the things that you as a professional firefighter see that the general public does? Like, what is you, what are some of your biggest pet peeves in terms of people lacking in fire prevention? Is it cigarettes out car windows? Is it, uh, you know, give me a for instance, like, what are some of the things that just almost annoy you to the core? Well, I think that we've all seen the distracted driver becoming an epidemic now. And mm-hmm. I know that they're trying to go through state legislation and some other uh, facets to provide you and I as drivers. But we have a lot of auto accidents that are created by uh, distracted drivers. And mm-hmm. that, that that's a difficulty. People uh, on their phones. Just 
texting away or watching videos, or looking at while Facebook, they're whatever, doing right? whatever they're doing. Yeah. And I, yeah, I bet you most every one of us do it. It's it's a hard thing to be that disciplined to keep it uh, put down. But you know, there's a time and a place. So that that's probably one of the biggest issues. Um, here, as we go through this season of drought that they are forecasting, certainly, um, and in the, in, not just in the city and county of Denver, but in the, the, um, surrounding areas up mm-hmm. in the foothills and into the mountains. I will say that when I, when I see cigarette butts, that's a concern for me because mm-hmm. our fellow residents of Colorado are, could be affected by somebody's, um, Laziness and yeah. and wipe carelessness. With, yeah, and uh, truthfully, I know that our city is pretty clean compared to other cities throughout the United States and the world. Certainly, but um, we we need to be uh, ever present and cognizant of what those those dangerous situations could be developed from uh, just an errant uh, cigarette butt being thrown out that wasn't mm-hmm. extinguished. Um, some of the other things that we see uh, are just. You know, alcohol downtown, uh, mm. it, 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 the people go downtown and they, they just get silliness sometimes and, or they create silliness either right. through fights or auto accidents. Um, alcohol is another issue that I've seen. I've seen people fall asleep in cars because they drink too much at stoplights. I've seen people Come run more. into other people. I've seen people uh, get in fights because they ran into other, each other. And then I've seen people get in fights just because they get into fights. And, and But alcohol, that's sometimes that's probably a pet peeve of mine, especially working downtown for the bulk of my career. It's, it's just seeing how silly mm. that environment gets. Um, I had one one day I worked on uh, New Year's Eve about four years ago, and we ran 41 calls. And I bet you everyone wow. – and so in a 24-hour shift, we never stopped. It was <laughs> either you're going to an emergency, you're addressing the emergency, whatever it is. You're going back to finish the paperwork, try to get a bite, then you're going back out to Jeez. something else. So 41 calls. And that um, – in uh, I was – I was spent. I was just physically and emotionally spent by the time uh, that shift was done. But primarily, everything was driven by alcohol that day. Yeah. So this is just my perspective. And other firefighters might have other perspectives. But having worked downtown and having been a firefighter for over 30 years, I would say that the carelessness that uh, people have with their cigarette butts and and uh, putting coals in their dumpsters or, um, you know, what, like from their barbecues? Yeah. Good Lord. Uh, oh, just, uh, they, they just don't have an awareness of what the ultimate outcome right. would be. Just obliviously um, sort yeah. of like, oh, I got to get rid of these. Here they go. Yeah, right. And not realizing that when you do that, that, that they could eventually create a yeah. pretty significant uh, and a danger to other people, certainly. Um, so that, that, that is something that, um, uh, frustrates me. Then, um, of course, the distracted drivers, because that could put you and I at risk. Mm-hmm. And then, again, finally, just some of the – I think we can be smarter about our alcohol consumption, and we don't right. – um, so those are my three top pet peeves. I, th- I think I think those are all fair. Yeah. Um, one of the things that uh, is probably one of the most fun and most visible things that the fire department does, and I was out in Golden just with my kids. You know, you take them out, you do whatever. Uh, the firehouse was open out there right by Lions Park, and I can't remember which station it was. But uh, they just invited the kids in. You know, there was uh, lemonade and popcorn mm-hmm. and, you know, all sorts of demonstrations. You know, here's how you here's how you put a fire out with a hose and, you know, uh, educational materials, coloring books. Mm-hmm. Uh, how often does each station do something like that? Well, we try 
uh, annually we are working with Fire Prevention Week and getting into the schools oh, right, yeah. and providing um, services. We will uh, never turn somebody away from the firehouse if they want to come in. Uh, the the if we can have an effect. On the front end, when it comes to children, you probably remember your stop, drop, and roll and those things that we learned in high school and some very Put impressionable. Put on grease fires with uh, baking soda and not uh, water. Yeah, or just to cover. That's or even just a better co- yeah, yeah, cover. Just, just cover. Snuff out the oxygen, yeah, right? Yeah, um, that's the, the best way to do it. But we love having kids, and we know kids love us, and we love having um, – that fan base, it's kind of nice knowing that sure. you're a hero to these little kids. And, but they're also impressionable and they can embrace some of the, the simple things to reduce the chances of themselves and their family members being affected by fire situations. And so we do that annually. We get out to the schools. We, um, will have, uh, Girl Scout troops and Boy Scout troops that will come through the firehouse. Um, you know, there's fire safety badges in both of those entities. There's other organizations that look for us to speak in terms of maybe geriatric fire safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's probably the wrong word, but as, um, our aged population gets to that point where they, they want to refresh their own understanding of what's going to be the best way for them to be safe. And, um, so we educate people from, from the time that they're two, three years, four years old, all the way up to the time they're 102, three, wow. four years old. So uh, we we really respect the fact that people are that motivated to want to learn about fire safety and and being smart about it. But kids especially, they love the coloring books. They love the little red fire hats. We love sharing that time with them because who knows, that might be a young woman uh, uh, yeah. uh, that would be a firefighter for my, us one day. My daughter is three. My older daughter is three. And she loses her mind every time she sees a fire truck. And it's so interesting. I remember being the same way, and I don't know what it is about that. I respected police as well, but yeah, there was something about that big old fire truck or a fire engine that was going by. So it's gorgeous. I I mean, what can you say? Uh, And we were at we we ran into some firefighters at Oblio's Pizza over Mm -hmm. on Twenty Third and Kearney, and uh, you know, I I just asked them. I said, my daughter would love to look in the truck, and they said, sure. Yeah. And so they just went right over. It was great. And, and I love hearing stories like that because I believe that our firefighters have that desire to do um, on the drop, uh, drop of a hat to, to, to show these little kids yeah. and to make that positive impression. Because I think we've all been there when you've asked something of someone. Doesn't have yeah. to be a firefighter. Doesn't have to be an emergency service person. But they shot you down, or they or they disrespected you. It's very deflating. It really is, and it, then you become perhaps cynical towards that that individual or or whatever they represent. And right. and that that's something that we work hard. Is we understand that the citizens of Denver and the p- taxpayers will provide our wages and that we have a responsibility to those people to the constituents to the the citizens of denver we have a responsibility not only to provide the best emergency care that we can the most efficient uh, uh, emergency services that we can but also to provide education and to give them the respect that they have given us so it's twofold i, I you know they roll together and and again i'm very proud of the denver fire department and what we do and the, uh, the effects we have i wish I could say that we are perfect, but of course, 
we struggle just like right. any big organization to try to do everything right. And, but uh, at least we're focused on that ultimate goal. Doing no, 100%. Yeah. One thing I meant to ask you about earlier, and I'm, I, I apologize for the dramatic shift in tone here, but one of the most interesting things about a firehouse is the policy where you can accept babies that people don't want. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that to me is interesting. And how did that become the, the purview and the responsibility of the fire department um, in terms of that type of policy because it almost feels like a non sequitur. Well, and it, it's somewhat difficult because we have those signs out there, but if this firehouse is tasked for an emergency and they're not here, yeah. we kind of put those people in. So th- th- you can go either way with this, but if the firehouse is here and somebody wants to drop a baby off for whatever reason, then right. we are going to love that baby and then yeah. get them to the right uh, services that are necessary. And I think they saw it as an opportunity. There was a situation where uh, somebody just left the baby in a very dangerous environment, yeah. and um, they wanted to address that from happening again. So, uh, yeah, it, in, in the city and county of Denver, we do have that opportunity for people to drop off a baby if they want to. It's not utilized a lot. And and luckily yeah. so, but um, if it were to be, we will do our best to provide the, the, the services necessary for that child and get them to the safest uh, means possible through health and human services and child protection. Yeah, and I, I mean, I apologize for asking that so late, no. but I, it, that, that bears mention because when you come up to a firehouse, you see that and then you go, my gosh, like I personally, as a parent, I can't imagine doing that, but I also empathize with people who feel like they have no other option. Mm-hmm. So to that end, I, you know, very challenging thing, but, uh, it, it's great that the fire department does provide that service. Yeah. That safe haven, um, is, is an opportunity and it is just another one of the multifaceted uh, avenues that we have in providing whatever service it is. Um, changing flat tires, uh, you know, uh, getting cats out of the tree, putting fires out, saving, uh, performing CPR and trying to save somebody's life. Uh, it, it, it is really neat. It's uh, the opportunities that we as firefighters and that I have had in my life being able to positively affect individuals and then hopefully they'll remember. And when you save a life, my what I equate that to is, is giving birth. This is like a new life, wow. you know, because if someone is that close to dying and you're able to bring them back, the fulfillment that a firefighter gives is, it, it has is a lot like giving, having, um, you know, your wife or somebody giving birth. It's, it's, it's just a, a creation or a recreation. And I, I love that idea, um, because uh, the, when we have that effect and we've, we're able to bring somebody back that, could possibly pass from this earth and or keep them here it it's it's a regeneration it's a recreation it's it's um the opportunity to do something i don't want to almost godlike mm. yeah and and I, I i don't put myself on my pedestal please don't uh that, just uh, I, or I misinterpret that, this, that. Yeah. i took that in the spirit yeah, it was yeah. intended okay thank you and um but again, I'm very proud of the, uh, my sister and brother firefighters here in the city and county in Denver. I'm very proud of the, 
the the fire service throughout this, the the metro area and the state of Colorado and the United States. I think we do some some wonderful things, and I think that our ultimate goal is to strive for perfection. Although we'll 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 get as close to that as possible, and sure. be happy that we can get that close. Well, I'll tell you what, Greg, I can't think of a better note to end on. Uh, before we close out formally, uh, I, I offer plugs at the end of my show. If you'd like to plug Denver Fire Department, where can people find more about you on the web or in person? How do people get in touch with you? I'd uh, plug anything you want right now. So if our individual or if any individuals, um, interested in becoming a Denver firefighter or if they have family members that are interested in the Denver fire department, just go to your, your search engine, Bing or Google, and then, um, type in Denver fire department and it will pop up. If you, if you type in becoming a Denver firefighter, the, it will take you to a hyperlink that will take you directly to where we would like you to go. And it will uh, provide you insight into the processes that is necessary. It'll have my picture and my email address and my phone number. In addition to the two recruiters that I work with, Lieutenant uh, Ahmed Nunn and Lieutenant Kelly Fournier, and we are we are very passionate about getting people into our world and having them understand what it means to be a Denver firefighter and giving them the tools to succeed. So when we talk, uh, that's one thing that we do different than other recruiting agencies. We're just not looking for numbers. We're looking to provide people with the resources and the, the tools necessary to be successful in this endeavor because it is a righteous job. It is a, a, a phenomenal opportunity for people to be able to provide for themselves and their family and provide services, primarily provide services to um, the the residents in the city and county of Denver. So searching, uh, becoming a firefighter in Denver online will... T- will direct you right to one of the hyperlinks. And if anybody has any questions, they can always just call the Denver Fire Department directly and they will get them um, directed towards me. Fantastic. I will have links to all that on the companion blog piece. Captain Greg Pixley, this was enormously insightful and uh, I appreciate your time. I'll let you get back to your day. And uh, thank you for your service and continued success to you. Well, thank you, John, very much. I love this. I love this John of All Trades deal. This is neat because uh, uh, people will hopefully have a better insight and a better understanding of what we do. So thank you very much. I thank you, Greg. appreciate it. And that brings episode 168 to a close with Captain Greg Pixley from Denver Fire. I am enormously grateful for the time, attention, and care that you gave to me in educating people about what it's like to be a firefighter, what it takes, and, you know, some of the advantages and drawbacks to the job. I found this episode fascinating. I could talk to him all day, but, uh, you know, he's got more important fish to fry, so I'm grateful for the hour that we got together. John of All Trades Podcast is sponsored by... 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E-E-S. Online solutions for campaigns that you are building are at your fingertips with 4Degrees. They will create the messages, identify the audiences, and then deploy those messages to the correct audiences for a cost very attractive and highly effective. The number 4, D-E-G-R-E-E-S. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Depth Communications. Training, content, and engagement, that's what Depth specializes in. Find us on the web. D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Please vote for the John of All Trades podcast at Westward Reader's Choice. Denver 2018 this year. Go to readerschoice.westward.com. We're under the Shopping and Services tab. That's the orange tab. Tenth entry down, just type in John of All Trades podcast. And uh, hopefully we win that again this year. I'll be back here next week with a brand new episode. Again, we're rolling with new content. It's been fantastic. So Facebook is the only place to get previews of the new episodes on Monday. New episodes drop on Wednesday. Until I hear you back there then, say goodnight, Grace.
That's good, Johnny. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak.